0: 1 Timothy chapter 2, we conclude today uh, this series, The People of the Spirit, and we've been spending these last number of weeks looking at living the life of prayer and all that that involves and all that that means as far as the Lord is concerned for us, and I really wrestled this past week as I was making final preparations for our time together in the Word, because there's so much that, that... that I want to share with you in this, but I know we only have limited time. So I'm going to do my best to, uh, to give you everything that I believe the Holy Spirit has assigned for us today in this. As we look at this, this last assignment together in this series of people of the Spirit, pneumaticos, the people of the Spirit, we're going to look at prayer as the shield of influence. Would you say that with me? The shield of influence. Say it again. The shield of influence. 1 Timothy chapter 2. And we're looking at verses 1 to 4. And if you notice someone's sitting near you and they don't have a Bible, maybe offer to share yours with them. And if you need a Bible, let us know. Don't be shy. We have Bibles that we give away as gifts to people. Um, for that purpose, so let us know. Paul, as he writes to Timothy, says these words, First of all, then I urge that supplications, we looked at supplications together last week, prayers, intercessions. We're going to look at intercessions In this assignment this morning, and thanksgiving, and we considered thanksgiving a moment ago around this table of Eucharist, the table of thanksgiving, that these be made for all people, for kings, and for all who are in high positions, that we may lead a peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. This is good. And it is pleasing in the sight of God, our Savior, who desires all people to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. Let me just again paraphrase this passage for us to help us get a hold of it. Most of all, Paul says, I'm writing to encourage you to pray with gratitude to God. Pray for all people. Pray with all forms of prayers and requests as you intercede with intense passion. And pray for every political leader and representative of authority so that we would be able to live tranquil, undisturbed lives as we worship the awe-inspiring God with pure hearts. It is pleasing to our Savior God to pray for them. He longs for everyone worldwide without distinction of social pedigree or rank or race or ethnicity or culture or nationality. He longs for everyone to embrace His life and return to the full knowledge of the truth in Christ Jesus. I want to invite you to consider with me today the idea of intercession. Would you say that word with me? Intercession. It's one of those words that we, the moment we hear it, we kind of just steer clear of it because we're not really sure what it means or the images that we might have associated with that word are not appealing images to us. And so we just kind of step around it, generally speaking, for the most part. Not all of us do that, but some of us do. And I think... A lot of the reason for that is because we have failed to understand what intercession truly and really means biblically. Not someone else's definition of it. Not what you saw in someone else's life that was called intercession. And maybe it wasn't really that. It seemed like something really weird and off the wall and wacky to you. Intercession is not something that's weird or wacky. It's not about getting that way at all when we understand biblical intercession. Intercession is associated with another subject that we, we call spiritual warfare. And though that term scares a lot of people too because unfortunately there's been a lot of weird and wacky stuff that has happened along the lines and in the name of spiritual warfare over the years. And so like we often tend to do, we just kind of throw the baby out with the bathwater and we say, you know what, I'm just going to steer clear of all of that. And I'll just say my simple prayers of God is great, God is good. Let us thank Him for this food. Amen. But there's so much that the Lord has for us in this. If we understand it properly and biblically as He desires us to. So if I can invite us to consider this idea of intercession today afresh. And as we do, let's lay aside all that other rubbish, all of that other residue. Let's just lay that aside and allow the Holy Spirit to reframe this for us today. The shield of influence. That's what intercession essentially is. It's a shield of influence that the Lord gives us. It is both important and impressive to see the priority that this order of prayer is given along with supplication, which we studied last week. I want you to notice, in particular, the significance of two things. The significance of the priority and the significance of the scope indicated by Paul in the passage at hand that we have opened before us today. First, the priority. He says, First of all, he starts off his, his words to us that way. First of all, most of all. He, he wants us to see that there's a priority that's placed on this. And then the scope of influence. He says, I want you to do this. I want you to intercede. I want you to exercise all prayer as you give yourself to pray for leaders, and all those in authority. That's a broad scope because we have different spheres of authority in our lives. We have civil authority in our cities, our mayors, our council. We have, we have the authority, perhaps, of, of the, the council that gives direction to the, the housing complex we live in. We have church authority we have governing authorities nationally and internationally. And we're called, he's, he, 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 he urges us, it's a, it's a strong verb that Paul uses here. It's translated urge, but it, it really is a command. It's got an imperative tone to it. That this be done. That corporate congregational intercession in our worship gatherings take place. We have here in this passage what I believe is the Bible's essential realm of assignment for us with regard to civic and political affairs. The question that has often arisen over the years is how much should the church be involved in the political world? Well, here's what the Scripture expressly says about it. We're called to pray. We're called to be a people of prayer and intercession. And we're commanded to this. This essential realm of assignment. The directive to pray for civic issues that are grander and broader than our own immediate points of personal concern or involvement. That's why you'll notice that even from week to week, as we pray as a congregation, we, we don't just touch on personal needs, but we go beyond these walls into our world around us. Because that is where we are called and assigned to give this focused attention in lifting up this shield of influence in prayer. It's common for most of us in the room, I think, to have as the first ones on our prayer list. I don't know whether you keep a prayer list or not. It's a good habit whether you keep it mentally or whether you actually keep a written list in your, in, in your journal. If you, have, if you journal and have a prayer journal, that's a good thing too. But most of us on our prayer lists... The first ones we have listed are often those people we know and we love best. Our spouse, our children, our grandchildren, our parents, our close relatives and friends, people facing illness or death. Our prayer lists, whether they're mental or whether they're written down, often go out in concentric circles. With ourselves being in the middle. And then from there they go out. You know, our spouse, our children from there. And it goes out from there. In wider and wider circles. Paul too is a person who prays for his friends and relatives, of course. We know that from his letters. But in this particular passage that we have opened in front of us today... He strongly urges us, he, said, he commands us that we should start as it were. He says, first of all, this is the priority, He's saying, that we should start as it were at the other end. That we should reverse our priorities and pray first for the people who hold the world together by their governance and leadership and authority. Now, for many Christ followers today, particularly those of us who have grown up in the western hemisphere of the world and have never known in our lifetime things like war or major civil unrest and disturbance in our countries, this idea often seems quite remote to us. We are generally happy people, more or less, with our democratic institutions, with our systems of government. We vote every few years, or we should, even though we know the cycle here in Canada. I I think we all know the cycle, right? You know, we vote for the Liberal Party, then we grumble and complain, and we vote the, the Liberal Party, and we vote in the Conservative Party. And then we'd grumble and we complain, we don't like and we vote in the Liberal Party, and we grumble and complain and we vote in the Conservative Party. Like that seems to be the general cycle in our nation. And we should vote. It's important that we do. We may respond to opinion polls from time to time. And we have a sense that we live in a free society. It's not perfect, but we're not particularly eager to swap it for another system. Yes, of course we'd like our politicians to use our tax dollars more effectively. And we're quick to complain and we grumble and we gripe about some of their policies. But what they do doesn't usually drive us to our knees in prayer for them. To beseech God, to guide them and lead them to create a better world for us all to live in. Many Christ followers who are reasonably content with their country, are tempted to think that praying for leaders and governments is a rather boring thing to do. Even conformist thing to do. It looks like propping up the status quo to do that. However, let's allow the Holy Spirit to reframe some things and give us a bigger perspective here. A new lens perhaps to see this. Supposing you live, like many Christ followers around the world do, in countries which have had unstable, corrupt government, perhaps tyranny for many years. I think Hong Kong right now is experiencing the pains of this. this they've enjoyed some of the the, the, the ease, if you will, of what we know here in the Western Hemisphere. But now they're being faced with that being threatened. So, so let's, let's just suppose that we live in that kind of an environment in countries which have had unstable, corrupt government, perhaps tyranny for many years. Supposing you live with the dread of the knock on the door after dark which means that the secret police have come to take someone away. I remember times where I was ministering in the villages of mainland China and and we would go in under the cloak of darkness at night, very clandestine, and we would gather with these pastors from all over that had walked miles from all over and and... Just this sense that, you know, they were ready at any moment to disperse quickly. And that is how they lived. And for us from the West, this was like, you know, we were kind of edgy about this. They just rolled with it because for them it's a way of life, it's a way of following Jesus. There's no such thing as lukewarm Christians in these countries that face persecution. So suppose we lived in that kind of an environment with the dread of a a knock on the door. The dread of perhaps being tortured or killed for following Christ. Supposing the government knows about this and plays along with it, or is even directly responsible Wouldn't you be praying night and day for good, strong, wise, just rulers who would hold your world together and prevent the bullies and the cynical power seekers from having it all their own way? This is how these churches are praying. This is how the underground church in North Korea prays. This is how the underground church in Iran prays. This is the reality they face. They don't know what it means to follow Christ without that. And now for us today, since we now live in such a small social media world where insta messages and photos and videos and 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 all of it and, and sound can flash across the world in a matter of seconds. Where the pain of someone in the Sudan can appear instantly on the screens in North America or New Zealand. Just like that. Should we not all be joining together and praying for good government on a worldwide scale? For the United Nations and all who seek to influence the rulers of nations? This train of thought brings us exactly to the point of this text at hand. Paul's words in 1 Timothy. This was the point the Jews had reached in the first century. They had suffered under persecution and unjust rulers. And they'd done so for many generations They knew nothing else. Pagan monarchs had often tried to squeeze the life out of Judaism. Again and again, they had pleaded with God that He would overthrow the oppressive tyrants and give them freedom as He had done with Pharaoh at the time of the Exodus. But they had also learned an important lesson about how to conduct themselves while waiting for God's deliverance. And it's a lesson, beloved, also for us to learn. When they were in exile in Babylon, and longing for Babylon to be overthrown so they could go home again, the prophet Jeremiah, in Jeremiah 29, particularly verse 7, tells them that during this waiting period, they should settle down. Listen to his words. He says, in this place of exile that you're in right now, the Lord says, settle down, live as normal and as peaceable a life as possible, and pray to God on behalf of Babylon. Because if Babylon is at peace, you will be at peace. Isn't that interesting? Now, we, of course, are more familiar with a few verses later where it says, and God says, I know the plans I have for you to give you a hope and a future. And we lay hold of that verse and run with it because we like it. That fits with our Western worldview. But we need to get the context of Jeremiah's words here. Here is a people in the midst of adversity and exile and oppression and God says, yes, I know the plans I have for you, but key to that is the fact, a few verses earlier in verse 7, you give yourselves to be a people that prays on behalf of Babylon as the people of God. Now I can hear some zealous religious people objecting. That's compromise. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Surely we ought to be praying against pagan rulers. They exploit their subjects, they oppress people, they are wicked and should be overthrown that that nasty Justin Trudeau. Bless the Lord. Hello? I suppose in one sense, yes. Beloved, how many of you have found this, God's ways are not my ways, or your ways, or our ways. And His timing, His thoughts are not necessarily the timing and the thoughts and the ideas that you and I have, and the opinions that we have. We live in a day where it seems God has to make this disclaimer. The opinions expressed through the following individual are not those that are reflective of my kingdom. Prophets may be able to preach against oppressive regimes, but for ordinary people, It is better to be able to go about one's business, to live at peace, to raise a family, to be allowed to worship with the awful insecurity that comes when governments are unstable or when different regimes follow one another in quick succession. And this was what many Jews of Jesus' day had realized. This was their reality. The Romans made all their subject peoples... Listen to this. The Jews of Jesus' day were very much living in exile too. In a Babylon of sorts, if you will. It was the Roman Empire at this time. And the Romans made all their subject peoples pray to the emperor. Invoking him as Lord and Savior. But they realized that this wouldn't work with the Jews who believed that there was only one God. So they allowed them to pray to their God on behalf of the emperor. And this is the background of the passage that we're studying here this morning. The context to the early Christ followers' attitude towards praying for those in authority. Now what if they had religiously objective and objected, and some of them did, the zealots, the Jewish zealots of that day, which, which Jesus Himself opposed, they did reject this. They rose up against it. And it served them no good. But the early church came to realize that if they gave themselves to this to pray on behalf of the emperor. On behalf of those in authority. This is the background to, the, to, to Paul's words here. And please notice how Paul puts it. As he, as, he, as he speaks to the attitude they are to have towards praying for those in authority. He, he puts it this way. He says... Pray for those in authority, because this is acceptable and pleasing to God, our Savior. There is only one Savior, and He isn't Caesar. This is what was implied in Paul's words. And the, and, 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 and the people knew what Paul was hitting at here. There is only one Savior, and it isn't Caesar or any other human being, no matter how powerful they are. Friends, I've got good news for you. Our Savior today is not Justin Trudeau. Our Savior today is not Donald Trump. Our Savior is never, and, that, and that's nothing against these individuals. I'm trying to bring perspective as Paul was bringing perspective. We need to remember that despite what is going on in our nations, despite how our government may or may not be leading here and south of the border, we need to remember because it seems that we forget that Jesus is still the Savior of the world, not Justin Trudeau, not Donald Trump. Jesus is still on the throne, He still rules and reigns over all creation. He's not sweating bullets and biting his nails. What am I going to do with Justin Trudeau? Donald Trump, he, look, he tweeted again. What am I going to do with this guy? Paul says pray to God, who is our only Savior. Pray to Him for these individuals. On their behalf. As Christ followers, our attitude here is of utmost importance. And this is so timely for us today. Because what we're seeing even in the so-called evangelical world today does not reflect this at all. What we see reflected is a nationalism, a patriotism that is really idolatry, when it all juices down. And we're going to look at some of this stuff when we get into Jonah. Because this is what Jonah had to deal with in his own life. We are to think like kingdom people. Because that is who we are. And Paul says as people of the Spirit, as people of God, as people of the kingdom, don't forget Caesar is not your Savior. Justin Trudeau is not your savior. Donald Trump is not your savior. The prime minister, the emperor, the president, whoever, they are not your saviors. They have been put in positions of authority, and they're realms of authority that I myself, God says, have established, and they're only there because they are there under my rule and my reign... And so I'm still on the throne and I'm still ruling. And Paul says, He is our only Savior. Remember that. And in light of that, pray for these ones. And this is what the Roman Empire had made allowance for. This is what our attitude is to be. Whether the governing authorities are corrupt or not, they must be made the subject for this prayer, for our prayers and intercession. Whether we like them or not. Whether we, we agree with them or not. And man, doesn't, isn't it ugly out there today? In this social media world, the stuff that goes around about our Prime Minister and the, our, our friends south of the border, the President, all this stuff... Isn't it? And, and 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 I'm talking about so-called Christian people that are that are blabbing this stuff and tweeting this stuff and Snapchatting this stuff and Facebooking this stuff. And I, I, Paul says that is not the attitude we are to have as the people of the Spirit. We are to be a people who prays on their behalf. whether they're corrupt or not. And in this, we have the power of influence. We have influence in national affairs. This is the shield of influence. And it's a fact that we often forget except in times of crisis. Obedience to this call will disallow any notion or practice of prayer as a preoccupying, self-centered concern. We are promised shielding influence that can affect the spiritual climate of a culture, of a city, of a world, in order that we may, as Paul says in our text, lead quiet and peaceable lives to the glory of God. Did you notice those words? Quiet and peaceable. That's not Canadian. That's not any other... Cu- this is kingdom culture being talked about here. Quiet and peaceable. Not loud mouth blabber mouths. Not tweeting off on how we feel about whatever... Quiet and peaceable. Because that is the testimony that is going to bring glory to God. Paul's purpose is certainly not to encourage a life of selfish ease. Rather, the idea here is this. Freedom from disturbances such as social or civil conflict, wars and persecutions will serve to assist them in their mission by facilitating the ongoing spread of the gospel. Now, this is foreign language to us here in the Western world, unless, of course, we've had some experience or background perhaps in cultures that are, are home to us, and we've tasted maybe a little bit of, 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 of adversity and persecution in this way there. But generally speaking, as Canadians, as North Americans, this is foreign language to us. However surprising it may seem to us, praying for those in authority, please hear this, praying for those in authority, even if they are corrupt and pagan leaders. Praying for them, God says, will become part of my plan to spread the Gospel to all the world. You might call it prayer evangelism. When rulers are doing their job, even if they don't acknowledge God themselves, they create the peace and the societal stability which will allow God's people to worship without being harassed, and to build up families and communities that follow the life-giving way of holiness thus god's kingdom is expanded as in and through this kind of godly quiet and peaceable living all people groups have opportunity to come to him and find true salvation beloved this 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 is our apostolic missional mandate being obnoxious and mouthing off and yelling at the guy, tweeting this and tweeting and griping to our neighbor about what we think about the prime minister, that is not going to advance the kingdom. Why? Because they are not our Savior. Jesus is. And last I checked, Jesus is still on the throne. Hello. Understandably, it's tempting to say, well, who am I to suppose that when I kneel to pray, I can decide and determine the moral, spiritual, and political, or military, or economic circumstances in my city, in my country, in my world. But the Word of God not only says that intercession has that capacity for us, It specifically says intercession is one of our first assignments. It's a priority which, if observed, can reveal the living church's real role in determining government. You say, well, what about all these parts of the world where they're facing such persecution, the churches, and they're certainly praying in this way. Why is it? Well, we, we... God, in His rule, we don't understand all the whys and what but we do know this from the passage before us today, that God says, as you give yourself to this, I will continue to preserve you and sustain you in peaceable living, even though there's all this adversity going on around you that you have to contend with. I will advance my kingdom in and through you in the midst of it all. As you follow my way, Of doing things. Now, incidentally, I do believe that as Christ followers, as people of the Spirit in a free society, we should vote. And and I've said that. And I say that to the younger generations where there has been this voter apathy that's been developed. Vote. It is a privilege we have and we should exercise it, especially as the people of God. Be politically active or involved as you feel called to be. But do so as a person of the Spirit. Do so in a Christ-like way. We need to pray for those in our government that are Christ followers because they are there. And they are endeavoring to make a difference and have impact and influence. And we need to pray for them and uphold them as we also pray for our prime minister and so on. Pray for those in authority over us if we wish to reap the benefits of good government, which is a prized gift from God for the church's welfare and the advancement of the good news gospel of the kingdom. Intercession. Intercession. Intercession occurs when people realize that God has ordained boundaries of blessing for human experience. And and this this is the key. One of the words for intercession means just this. Do you know what it means? It means to lay down boundaries. We lay down boundaries of blessing and protection as we intercede. Another meaning of intercession in the scriptures throughout the Old Testament and its equivalents in the New Testament, if, if we do some word studies here, which we're not going to get into this morning, but it also means, as well as laying down boundaries, it means to happen upon. Now that always struck me as strange. How is it that in prayer we just kind of happen upon something? We, How many of you have ever had occurrences where certain situations or individuals or circumstances have suddenly come to your minds. Have you ever had that? You haven't been thinking about these things, but suddenly they're there. Any, anyone ever have that happen? Most of us, I think. We need to begin to recognize that as the Holy Spirit leading us and prompting us to pray. I've realized that what I used to think was just random thoughts, that I had because I'm just kind of a weird guy were really the holy spirit's way of prompting me to pray for individuals. Now I pray in an ongoing way for this congregation and world affairs and so on, but there are times where the lord will bring a, a a picture of one of your faces to my mind, where the lord will bring a situation uh, regarding matters in the in the world and whatever it might be. Now there was a time where I used to think, well, that's kind of weird, random thought, and just kind of toss it aside and continue to focus on whatever it was. But I've learned that that is most often the Holy Spirit prompting me to pray. That's what it means to happen upon. It's not a, hap- it's not a happenstance. It's not a fluke. It's not- it means that God has set this up. A God incidence. Not a coincidence, but a God incidence. And so that's one meaning. Another meaning is to lay boundaries. And I want to just spend our last few minutes on this. Intercession occurs when people realize that God has ordained boundaries of blessing and protection for human experiences. And unless someone prays, unless the church prays, Satan will try to violate that boundary line. He will try to make the experience less than it would have been in God's counsel and covenant. Intercession sees that all God's purposes reach all the way unto what He wills and desires. Unfortunately, there is a passivity that inhabits the mindset of so many of us and it's it's kind of a spiritual sloth and stupor that causes us to think this way. Well, you know, God is all powerful. He's sovereign. God's going to do whatever he wants to do. So I'll just sort of agree with it, you know, God whatever whatever you after all isn't that that what your kingdom come your will be done means? No, 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 no. A thousand times no. The Master Jesus taught us to pray, Your kingdom come, Your will be done on this earthly side of things. Therefore, we, the redeemed troops of God, are here to fight the good fight and to contend in partnership with Him to see heaven's covenant established and extended in the name of Christ the King. We're not praying, oh, well, I guess, you know, Your kingdom come. Your will be done. Whatever. Rather, we're praying, I stand as heaven's ambassador on this planet. And I say, God's kingdom come here in this setting. And God's will be done in this situation right now as it is established in heaven. Intercession is lifting the shield of kingdom influence insisting on the extension of heaven's covenanted boundaries of blessing and protection, which hell will encroach upon and try to push back to less than what God has intended. We are the ones appointed to monitor the situation, to be the watchmen and the watchwomen, the watch people of God on the wall in prayer We represent heaven's purposes by heaven's power and heaven's authority, speaking heaven's covenant into the situation. And we watch God actuate it according to our calling upon him. In living lives of prayer, we are keeping to a code, to a lifestyle of intercession. That is, we're not merely dabbling around in prayer, we are making contact with God. And we are establishing kingdom boundaries in the earth. Are you seeing this? It's the the Hebrew word pagah. That's what it means. It means to set boundaries. To establish, to to enforce the boundaries of the kingdom of heaven that have been established by Christ and His work. In death and resurrection and ascension. Please hear this, loved ones. Our lives, yours and mine, on this earthly side of things, here in our lives, intercession is joining hands with the Holy Spirit and marking out in protective prayer boundaries God's territory in our circumstances and situations, designating them as God's property. We strike in prayer with lightning force and we declare Satan is not permitted to trespass here. We're enforcing the no trespassing boundary of the kingdom. Are you seeing this? And I'll I'll end with this. This is what we're called to do as individuals and as a people collectively together as a congregation. Enforcing boundaries. What does this look like? There have been times in my journey and my walk with God where I have, for instance, been impressed by Him to walk literally walk the very perimeter of the property that I live on and call home. And I don't do this all the time, but I do it as I have been prompted to do it. And I, I've I've, done it in various places that we've lived all across Canada, where I have walked The perimeter of my property, and I've just, as I've walked, I haven't made a big scene. I haven't caused a big stir. I haven't been loud and obnoxious so that the neighbors look out the window and say, what is that weird guy doing? Our weird neighbor next door, what's he doing? No, I just, I'm out in my yard, and I'm walking around, and I walk the perimeter, or wherever it may be in your condominium, the perimeter of your condominium, whatever it may be, the building you live in, whatever it is, you mark out the bound. and you say, Father, in the name of Jesus right now, I'm establishing this as no trespassing grounds for the adversary here. Against my family, my household, my marriage, my sons, my daughters. I, I'm, just in, I'm, I'm enforcing what you have established. I'm saying as you have established it in heaven concerning this realm of authority that you've given me, let it be here. Let it be here. No trespassing. That's one example. We can do that in our workplaces. And you don't have to be loud and obnoxious about it. You don't have to make a big scene. You can do that as you're walking around the office at work. You're doing your job. You're doing your thing. But in your spirit, you're praying, Lord, even with each step that I take around my office today, I'm saying, let your kingdom be established here. Through me through my attitude, through your countenance on me today. I might not even have to say anything explicitly about you or the kingdom or the gospel, but just through my life it will be lived. And it will cause people to say there's something different about that person. Would you stand together with me as Philip and the team come? I don't know whether any of you have watched or read... Tolkien's series, The Lord of the Rings. It's got to be one of my favorite all-time stories, books, the movies. And one of the scenes that so vividly stands out to me is when they, the, the Gondolf, who is the Christ figure in Tolkien's story, is leading the the, the the fellowship of the ring, this group, this fellowship of brothers, leading them through this, these dark caverns, and they're being chased by this demonic entity of some kind, dragon, whatever, whatever the creature was, and they get to a point where they're crossing this bridge, and, and you may remember this scene if you've seen the movie, and the... The, the, the brothers run along and Gandalf turns with his staff and strikes it down and he declares, you shall not pass. And strikes down this figure. And of course, gives his own life to do so, which is a Christ picture as well in the story. That is what Christ has done for us. Through His death... And resurrection and ascension. He has made a way that says the adversary does not and ought not to pass here. And we are responsible in prayer and in intercession to carry that out as, as his people. And so we do so. We do so in our households, we do so in our workplaces, we do so in our schools. We say, you shall not pass. There's no trespassing here for you. You rotten adversary, in the name of Jesus. Are you seeing this? Intercession holds up that shield of influence on behalf of our nation and its leaders, all of those in authority, and the different spheres of our lives home, work, city, country, all of these things. Paul says this is our priority. We are to give ourselves to this